The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode number 640K, is enough for everyone for Tuesday, January 17th, 2017. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in Tips, questions, and cool stuff found. We share your tips and your cool stuff found. And in the middle, we answer your questions with the goal being all of us learning at least four new things each and every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Barebone Software with some major changes to the way BB Edit is presented to you. We'll be talking more about that shortly here. And Blue Apron. Where visiting blueapron.com slash MGG gets you three meals for free, including free shipping. We'll talk more about that later, too. Here, back in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here, still in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. It's nice to uh, to still be here with you and be back with you. Fun. Good stuff. I was uh, I was in Mexico this weekend, so... On a on a fishing trip, as you called it on Twitter, so P H I S H, yeah, is in that fish, not the other fish. Though you may have, in fact, had some fish at fish. I, I had some. I had some fish at the yeah at the hotel before we went and saw fish. Although they did feed us food at the concert grounds, they they do a, a very nice job for these sort of all inclusive package deal concert extravaganzas. It's pretty Very good. nice. Yeah. Can I tell you what I good. did while you were gone, Dave? It'll shock you. I'm shocked. <laughs> I actually took some of your advice. So, um, wait, wait, wait. Whoa. You did what? Yeah, well, uh, bookmark. <laughs> 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 With five stars. But uh, but anyway, so uh, we had talked about this in the past. Uh, check your plans, whether they be internet, phone, or TV, and, and see what happens if you call up and say, hi, how, how's it going? Can you give me a deal? And I did this, Dave. So I went from, thank you, Optimum. Um, but I called them and I had a 25.5 plan, 25 megabits down, five up. That's mm, not they modern. Called it, well, they called it Ultra 25. And, and the pricing I got with a discount, because I also have cable TV with them, was like 50 something bucks a month. And, sure. And, and then I would see them offer promotions and deals and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? Let me call them. I'm like, yeah, how's it, how's it going? talk to billing and I'm like, yeah, I'm paying this amount for this package. And they're like, yes, that's correct. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's not that great though. She's like, well, no, that's the price for that package. I'm like, I, uh, I, I don't think it's such a, and she's like, yeah, hold on. <laughs> and I got transferred to a very nice person who uh, said to me, yeah, all right. Um, yeah, we got promotions. Uh, we'll cut your bill by like five bucks and we'll give you hundred megabit service and uh, 35 up. And I'm like, um, yeah, all right. Wait, you Thanks, have 35 bye. megabits upstream now? It's crazy, huh? Oh, I don't know if I, I really you. need that. Dude, well, I gotta say, I, it's, all I get is 10 up, or yeah, they say 10, I get 12 and a half from Comcast. I want 35. I get two, like 240 down or something, but uh, which is awesome. Don't get me wrong, it's great. But I would trade, I would trade my 20, my 240, 10 for your 130. The only thing I got to say is that I don't think I've ever really, 
I mean, the remote access I've done in VPN, which I did do on you know our recent CES trip. Yeah. Actually, I, w- I would say that the, I, I was trying to download some or play videos and, and do some other things, you know, because sure. it's a VPN. Right. Uh, and it was stuttering. And now part of it, I think, was the hotel Wi-Fi, which was just kind of pathetic. Well, actually, it got better when I, I used the hotspot, but still okay. it was it wasn't that great. So so I think that's a nicer, you know, it's not symmetric, but it's it's better right. than before. Right. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, and so it is good advice. <laughs> So the thing is, it can't, and, and the thing is that it wasn't even painful. I mean, I, I, I got transferred, I think, to the department that deals with people that are threatening to leave. And I wasn't even threatening. I was just asking. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we got promotions. Sure. We always have promotions. So, um, <laughs> yeah, can't hurt, man. No, it's true. It's- Otherwise, I'm, uh, I was, you know, uh, usually I'm like, you know, I, I assume I'm getting the best deal for the amount of money I'm paying. And, and at least with internet access, that is not the case. Right, right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's very good always to, uh, it's, it never hurts to ask. I mean, sometimes they'll say no, but, but more often than not, they'll have some deal, um, some deal for you. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you have a follow up to that? I thought you did, or did we? Well, yeah. So I'm curious, um, you know, if, if you have QoS on your router, when your speeds change, you have to go and change your router's QoS settings so that you'll get the new speeds. Because if if you had your upstream QoS set to limit you to just shy of whatever your previous upstream was, so if it was technically or five advertised and maybe you got six, maybe you set it to five and a half, you could get uh-huh. upgraded to 30 and you'd still get five and a half because you're limiting it at your router. So did you upgrade? your? So here's, here's the kind of creepy part, but, but the part that makes me believe that optimal online uh, is, uh, has their act together. Yeah. So I was speaking to who I assume was more a marketing or salesperson than a, you know, somebody involved in, reconfiguring things. And as soon as we concluded that saying, okay, you're going to pay this amount instead of this amount and you're going to get the speed. I'm like, yeah, okay. She's like, all right, well it may take 20 minutes, but we're, uh, and so I immediately ran upstairs cause I was downstairs. Sure. And I saw them cycling my yeah. uh, cable modem. I didn't have to do it myself. They, right. They can restart it from the other side. So but that's not the power QoS. Cycle. That's not QoS. That's no. just your cable modem getting the no, new well, provision. The QoS, I mean, I'm right now fully on the Eero. So the Eero, as far as I know, is managing that. But the thing is, I did run after that a DSL reports test, which, um, because I think the thing you're referring to is the whole buffer bloat. Right, deal. right. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, yes, in a very general sense. That's right. Yeah, okay. So they rebooted your cable modem and Eero, your Eero probably noticed that because it, it yes. you're right. Eero does. It does the speed test and, and like the next day, I mean, it didn't yeah. notify me, but the next time I went to the, the app, it said, oh yeah, you got 110. It actually, I guess yeah. there's some bit conversion thing, but it's like, yeah, oh, now you got 110 down and 35 up. I'm like, yeah, okay. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not bit conversion. It's that it's that your cable company promised they probably promised promise you 100 down and 30 up and mm-hmm. and give you 110 and 35 so that, you know, you're not getting less than that. That's pretty that's pretty typical because I think mine I think mine is actually 210 is what I'm guaranteed and I get like 240 and 12 or something. So, yeah. Very cool, man. Well, that's great. That's uh, good stuff. All right, so we got some. We have some tips to go through, John. Let's uh, let's see what let's see what we get here. We'll go and we'll start with Greg. 
Greg says a quick iOS tip. The spotlight search on iOS is way more robust now than it was a couple of years ago from anywhere on your iPad. Uh, even inside an app, you can hit command space to bring up spotlight. If you have a keyboard attached and start typing to launch another app or find a piece of data, just like on a Mac. Therein lies the problem. He says, if you go to settings, general spotlight search, you'll probably see that all of your apps have spotlight search turned on. And this is whether or not you have a keyboard. Uh, I found that was slowing down the responsiveness of the command space shortcut. So I turned most of them off. Most of those are things I wouldn't think I would not think to search from spotlight. Anyway, once I pruned this app list, I found command space to be much more responsive. And I also found that spotlight search results tended to be more helpful because I now know the scope of the search and consequently what kind of information to look for. So regardless, and thank you, Greg, um, regardless of whether you use a keyboard with your iOS device, uh, and this is true of your iPhone too, going into settings, general spotlight and managing what appears in the um, in the search results can be really helpful because you can wind up with too many things. And then you can also wind up with that issue, which drives me crazy when you search for something in spotlight and you see the result that you want. And then as you're going to tap it and your momentum of your hand is already coming in and you're, there's no stopping you right underneath your finger, the results change and you wind up launching the wrong app or, or doing something that you didn't intend to do. And by limiting the things that will appear in your spotlight results, you will experience that less and less. So that's uh, that's my follow on advice for Greg's thing, because nothing drives me crazier than when I go to tap a result in spotlight on my iPhone and it launches a different app because it changes <laughs> right at the last second. It should sense that my fingers coming in and just say, wait, hang on, don't do anything yet. He's already chosen. I should be able to sense that. I concur. And I don't think I've ever been on this screen, but yeah, it's like, hey, let me include uh, all of the gazillion apps that you have in the yeah. search. And it's like, well, that that's not such a great idea. No, I mean, it's nice that it can. It, <laughs> and even here now I'm looking. I mean, yeah. dude, this will take me like a good 10 minutes or f yeah. a few minutes to go through and decide which app is blessed and, and important enough to be in this list. So. Right. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Ken, we actually have a couple of Apple Watch tips. The first comes from Ken, and he says, uh, if you're having trouble pu pushing the digital crown and it doesn't go to the watch face or the apps, do the following. Now, I'm going to read you the advice and then I'm going to tell you where he got it. Number one, power off the watch. Number two, put it under a small stream of water from a faucet. And then push the digital crown and roll the digital crown up and down, then remove it from the stream of water. This works for all models, including the original model of Apple Watch. He says, I learned this after chatting with Apple support. So very interesting that uh, that Apple support advises washing it under not hot soapy water as our as our favorite uh, sort of humorous advice goes, but washing it underwater. Can uh, can help that digital crown get ungummed. So I uh, go figure. It makes sense. I mean, I've, you know, I've had my watch how in the to rain. get gummed to begin with. Well, you, uh. I mean, you're sweating and like, you know, there's just you've got it. You're using yeah, well, it you and all that stuff you can design for that. 
You could. You could. Yeah, that's true. Maybe they didn't, but but you certainly could. So thanks for that, Ken. Very good. Uh, also regarding an Apple Watch and perhaps ironically related to Kim's, Ken's uh, tip, Jim writes, I wanted to share what turned out to be a happy experience with my original Apple Watch after it had some repeat soakings on an adventure tour in Florida. I had not thought anything about water as I shower and do dishes with my watch and have even been caught in the rain and have had no problems. On this trip, however, between a swamp boat driver who thought I was looking overheated and promptly did a wave action to fix it, and then some Florida extended downpours whilst riding my bike, my watch suddenly wasn't seeing the charger. The watch still worked, but eventually shut down as it could not charge. I'd noticed that the charger disc had gotten warm several different tries, but no longer was getting warm after a point. It never did before. I couldn't book an Apple Genius appointment just to see if it was something simple due to holiday season, so I figured I would try to buy a replacement. Not a chance in Toronto. Nothing shippable until after the holidays, but I was heading to California for a business for a few days, so on a hunch, I checked for in-store pickup and found a Series 2 in the Cupertino Apple headquarters store uh, where I would be near. So I bought it and picked it up. Happy me, says Jim. Now for the interesting part for the listeners. Thinking about the warm charger I experienced with my original Apple Watch, I tried the new charger with my original watch, and it worked. So it appears that the watch dried out just fine, but somehow during the damp period, the charger had problems and appears to have burnt itself out. So if a watch owner ever has their Apple Watch really soaked and it can't see the charger, I would recommend letting it go for about a week and then trying again. Obviously, repeated tries with the charger while it was still damp was a bad thing. And the good news is I now have a Series 2 waterproof watch with an awesome battery life and a good friend has his first partially used original Apple Watch with a replaced charger as a gift. So very nice of you, Jim, to do that. Very nice of you to send in uh, your story as uh, nice advice. And uh, and that's where we're at with it. So thanks for uh, thanks for all of that. Good stuff, huh, John? I, I just love stories about charging triumphs and don't like the stories about charging woes. And I think that's just what we got. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I haven't yeah, had, yeah. Uh, fortunately, I have had no charging related disasters as of late, other than my devices being destroyed by this cheap car charger. How about right. you? Uh, have I had any charging disasters or charging? Or unexpected issues? charging events. I, I think I don't my think charging so. life has been pretty uh yeah, no, I think my charging life has been has been pretty good. We had a, 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 a actually we picked up a pair of cats that wound up not working out, but one of them um, was uh, it loved to eat charging cables, like really loved it. So so we've been through buying quite a few charging cables. Monoprice, I believe it was Monoprice. I was able to get some right angle charging cables. If it wasn't Monoprice, it was Amazon because I bought a bunch of. Um, for the for the cat to give to us uh, for Christmas because you know she had eaten all our chargers, so um, I can't remember where I got the right angle ones from, but uh, it was either Monoprice or Amazon, and I'll find a link it, from my purchase history and put it in the in the show notes. But um, man, having a right angle cable makes a big difference, uh, especially if you're someone that uses your phone while you're charging it, because you might tend to want to rest your phone like on your chest or on your uh, you know on your on your uh, stomach or whatever 
And having a right angle cable will keep that cable from kinking uh, because it's built to just do that. So very, very handy to have a right angle cable. And I was able to get, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of them cheap and they work really, really well. So I'll um, I'll find I'll find the the link and oh, put nice. this in the show notes. Yeah, no, I love those too. I think I have one on my laser printer for appliances that you want to put close to the wall. That too, have a sure conventional <laughs> charging cord kind of ruin everything mm-hmm. because you're going to bend it and you're going to bend it, it and, right and burn the house down. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it shouldn't burn the house down, but it could. Well, it shouldn't. Yeah, that's right. But uh, but well, yeah, my daughter went through uh, a, a number of years ago. My daughter went through a series of uh, cables much faster than anybody could imagine here in the house. What and type of cable? iPhone charging cables. And uh, and and so we and it was all types, but they were all straight cables. And finally, I'm like, all right, wait, how are you using these? And she showed, you know, and I looked in her room and she was like resting them on her, uh, you know, on her on her stomach or whatever while she was in bed. And I was like, yeah, that's your problem. You know, you can't do that. And at the time I couldn't find any right angle cables for her, but now, now we can. So having those makes a real big, real So big the way difference. she had a position was stressing a part of the cable. Is, is that? Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I will explain this one more time. Plug in the charger into your iPhone. Now rest the iPhone on your belly, right? While you're using it. So hmm. you've got a cable coming out of the bottom of your iPhone. So your iPhone itself cannot rest on your stomach. So the cable is resting and because your stomach's in the way it's now bent and you're applying some pressure there just to even from the weight of the, mm-hmm. of the phone. So a right angle cable totally solves that problem uh, and is very, very handy. So yeah, but I'll find a link. I'll put it in the, in the thing, but we were getting them for certainly less than 10 bucks a piece. I think, it, you know, for like a three foot cable. So very good stuff. All right. Um, you know what I want to do, John is I want to talk about our sponsors here. Um, and I want to start with bare bones because Barebones software at barebones.com is the maker of BB edit. Now BB edit, as many of you know, is my favorite text editor and I use it all the time. Barebones also makes a piece of software currently called text wrangler, which is a free version of BB edit, but it's not really a version of BB edit. It's just a free text editor that does some of the things that BB edit does. BB Edit has a 30-day free trial, currently, or did, uh, and then after that it would stop working. So you kind of had to pick. Well, they they fixed this. BB Edit 11.6 now has a new eval model, which has the uh, full, complete feature set that you can use for the first 30 days, just like you always have been able to. And now, new to 11.6 and later, after the 30-day eval period, BB Edit's powerful editing capabilities continue to remain available for use. You just don't get its web authoring tools and other exclusive features. So this is a big change, right? Very, very cool. Um, Here's the even cooler part. If and when you decide you need to re-enable those features that you had for the 30-day eval period, but now don't have, but are still using BB Edit because you can, you can just turn on those features by purchasing a license at barebones.com. And yes, if, if in case it's not clear, BB Edit 11.6 and later can continue to be used in post-eval mode for as long as a person would like, i.e. forever. So if your needs 
of a text editor are simple, BB edit may now still be the right answer for you because you might be able to get away with using it for free forever. At some point, you'll either decide you need new features or the extra features and you'll buy it, or you'll decide that this is so worthwhile to you that you want to support the development of it and you'll pay them uh, or you won't. But now you get to choose and you don't have to do this dance between BB edit and text wrangler. Um, the implication is that at some point text wrangler will likely go away. Um, and, and that's fine because you wouldn't need it because now you have BB edit. So this is very, very cool. Uh, as I said, many times BB edit is my absolute favorite text editor. And it is, I couldn't live without it. I mean, I, I use it constantly. I will use it as we process this show later today. Um, it's just how it, oh, it, it's fantastic. I can do all kinds of text manipulation. It, you don't have to be a programmer or you could be a programmer, but you don't have to necessarily be doing any programming to take advantage of all the wonderful features of BB edit. So please go check it out, especially now that you know that you can keep using most of those features for free. Check it out at barebones.com. Our thanks to Barebones for sponsoring this episode. Our second sponsor is Blue Apron at blueapron.com slash MGG. That's where you can go to get three free meals shipped to you for free. And it's super, super simple. I've used these services before. Never in my life have I experienced how like how easy Blue Apron has made it. Within 90 seconds of visiting blueapron.com slash MGG, I was pretty much finished. I mean, I gave him, you know, my name and my address and, uh, you know, some some very general sort of dietary preferences. And it said, all right, great. Your meals. Here's what we've picked for you for your meals. Uh, they'll be on their way shortly. Now, from there, I could change it. And that's sort of the nice part. But the hard work was done. Everything was set up. It's great. And they have some amazing food it's and it's fun because then not only do they ship you all these great fresh ingredients they taste good but they ship you the recipe too and these recipes typically take about 30 minutes but it's kind of fun because now you've got this printed recipe that you can sit with uh, you know whatever your family or your spouse or your friend or whoever it is and cook together so it becomes this fun experience this week the recipes include Creamy risotto with, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce this, lacinato kale strata. So you get to learn about things you don't even know about. Uh, Meyer lemon bucatini, a pasta, beef tacos and radish salsa. You're making these things. They send you these ingredients, very, very fresh. They're packaged in a really cool way with, you know, ice packs and stuff to keep them cold, obviously, when they, when they ship them. Orange and mirin glazed cod. These are fantastic Meals, they taste great, they're easy to prepare, and you just get them shipped to you. Great stuff. I, I, yes, they're a sponsor. Yes, I highly recommend them. Those two are separate facts. It just so happens that we're very lucky to have them as a sponsor here. So what you got to do is go visit blueapron.com slash MGG. 
You can check out this week's menu. You get your first three meals for free with free shipping. Again, that's blueapron.com slash MGG. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create a home-cooked meal. And it's, when, you know, you get your first three, three meals free, free shipping. And then after that, it's less than 10 bucks a person a meal. I mean, it's, these things aren't going to break the bank. So you got to check it out. Blueapron.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Blue Apron for sponsoring this episode. And with that, John, let's go on to Daniel. Let's talk about some photo stuff, shall we? Surely. Surely. Okay. Uh, Daniel writes, I have a question for you regarding migrating a Mac OS photos library between machines easily and without losing data that iCloud will not store, namely faces. Can a library be migrated between Macs preserving this data so I do not have to relabel everything yet again on a new computer? I previously tried to move a photos library using an external hard drive, but decided against it when photos then appeared to start uploading the entire local library to iCloud, even though it already existed in iCloud. The last thing I wanted to do is end up with an ungainly library twice the size and spending months trying to clear duplicates manually from the cloud. I instead chose to allow the Mac to download the library from iCloud. But of course, this does not, does not contain faces data, which Apple says doesn't ever leave the machine. So is there a way I can move the library from one machine to another permanently? So that library remains the primary photos library with all the local data still intact without me having to retag all of my photos on the new machine again. Yes, um, there is. And you just do it. And yes, it's going to warn you that it's going to upload everything to the cloud again. But it's probably not going to upload everything to the cloud again. And it's probably not going to download everything from the cloud uh, to your computer, but it will go through this process of comparing and matching and all of that. The only problem with this is you need enough storage in both the cloud and on your Mac to upload and download everything. It's not going to do it, photos checks to make sure that it could because it doesn't yet know that what's in the cloud and what's on your disk are the same thing. So you've, it, and this sort of stinks because you've got to have a big enough drive locally and own enough storage in the cloud in order mm -hmm. to do it. So you might have to upgrade for a month for in the cloud. I, I mean, I can appreciate the usability aspect of this it's like should i start doing something and then disappoint you later when you run out of space or right. should i ahead of time pretend that i'm taking all this space and make sure that it's there when i think you need it and so i kind of get it I, though i can see why it's the the hesitation is annoying because it's like i want it now <laughs> yeah well and you know it where where this become i mean this this becomes a problem in in three scenarios one if you don't have a big enough hard drive locally, to me, that's the worst one because it's you, you can't just like spend a dollar and make it grow larger for a short period of time. Right. Y you know, whereas with the with iCloud, you can and it might be more than a dollar, but it's going to be less than ten dollars because you don't need to do this forever. You just need to do it for a short period of time. Um, so that's number two is is having to upgrade iCloud. And then number three is when you're worried about your bandwidth usage. Right. Um, but but yes, this will work. And uh, and you're right to just move the, the photos library. It's a package. Really, it's a folder, but the finder treats it like a single package and you can just move that around and it will work. Um, I, I'll, 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 I'll read the end of Daniel's email here because it it 
it, it puts a point on this. He says, uh, as an aside, Apple's approach to security seems to be making features like this worthless. Who has the time to manually process thousands of images across multiple devices when they're paying Apple for iCloud? Am I being unreasonable? Daniel, I don't think you're being unreasonable. I am 100% with you on this. Uh, I wish that I could tell Apple, yeah, go ahead and sync my faces data. I'm okay with it. That that would make my life a lot easier than uh, than than what they're doing here. I'm, I'm not quite sure I understand why faces data is the thing that Apple has chosen. I mean, it's all the metadata. It's not just faces data. But, but I mean, if all my pictures are going to be stored in the cloud, eh, isn't it okay to have the metadata with them? And I realize we all choose our point on the continuum between I'm not going to say security, privacy and convenience, but this is a little much. Um, Am I missing something, John? Uh, No, no. I think we could all have a a hearty discussion about this, uh, discussing. It's like you and I have both said in the past, convenience versus security. So if you would like your face prints known to all far and wide then cool but some people may not and how do you balance the well wait storage it's needs, not the processing it's not the, that i the, i'm making them available to all far and wide it's that i'm choosing not to only keep them locally i mean if apple were to store them on the cloud there's there's an expectation that mm-hmm. like anything else i store on apple's cloud they're not just going to publish that for the world uh, there is a a possibility right. of a sorry, security I was being breach. A, a bit sensationalist. Yeah, but, uh, right. Well, I, I, I just wanted I to make trying, sure we were clear. Yeah, yeah. No, I just wanted to point out the extremes of user expectations. One is that yeah, protect it all and and re-index all the time, or make it available via various means. Um, it'll take more resources to do that. And there's a happy medium somewhere, and it sounds like for many, Apple has not reached that yet. Good news. Google has, as has Amazon Photos and, and Flickr, too. Right. <laughs> Although Flickr is a little weird. So um, so you can, uh, you know, deal with things that way and and upload your photos to Google and it will then just oh, I know. do your faces. No, it, it, but I mean, this no, is I, I just think it's funny pick. you said things were weird at Google because things are weird at or I'm sorry, uh, Yahoo. Did you say Yahoo? I, I did. Yeah, Yahoo. yeah, yeah. I did say things. Yeah, things are Yahoo. weird there. But yes. we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, right. I'll, I'll, I'm making a backup. That's all I'll say. Right. Oh, I would. Uh, the, yeah. Of everything. I highly recommend it. Yeah. As you always should for anybody that's hosting your content. That's right. important to you right. when they suddenly say they're going out of business, which not saying that the entity that we just discussed, which we didn't, will do that. But hey. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, am I getting a note from the lawyers or? No, I think you're. I think you're fine. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not sure I what you're worried about. Explicitly identified anyone. Uh, we're talking about Yahoo. Yeah. Yes, we are. Yeah. Well, I mean, we mentioned Flickr, so yeah, it's all it's all fine. It's all good. No, I highly recommend you take you make a backup. I can't imagine that. Um, I mean, it's whether or not Yahoo goes out of business. Um, the reliability of your data that that stays there is certainly in question because of their because there's a question as to whether or not they're in business. There's no worry about lawyers here. This is just a you know being safe. So I but I would do that anywhere. I, I would you know I I uh, if you're using iCloud Photo Library, I would absolutely 
designate at least one of your Macs to store all your photos. Um, you know, you can choose to only have your photos stored in the cloud and then just keep an optimized version locally. I, I don't recommend that. I, I mean, if something happens, you, you could be in a world of hurt. So I, you know, and, and you manage this and I'm trying to pull it up while we're, while I'm, while I'm vamping here, but you manage this. If you go to photos and go to photos preferences, and if you have iCloud photo library enabled, you have two options. You have download originals to this Mac or optimize Mac storage. So at least one of your Macs should be uh, set to download originals to this Mac and then back that up. And when I say that, I mean your, your photos library. So that could be by default, it's in your home folder and in, inside pictures, I believe. Um, but, uh, but if you've chosen to put it on an external drive, then uh, you know, it's going to be there, but absolutely make a backup of that. I mean, these are your photos. Yeah. I wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to lose those. Right, Sean. All right. Mm -hmm. Now a tip from David, not from me, but from, uh, from listener, David, he says, I recently set up a scenario with my Synology where I have a geofence set up for my wife's phone. Uh, and, and when he says he has a geofence set up, he's talking about with the app DS photo, which is for uh, Synology owners. Uh, you put it on your iPhone. So, so I have a geofence set up for my wife's phone and my phone where the Synology app syncs photos to the Synology folder when we are both on Wi-Fi at home. This essentially combines our photos libraries. That's pretty cool. It's smart. He says, I then have a mounted location on the desktop of my Mac that Google Photos looks at and then syncs up to Google Photos, not Google Drive. Uh, he says, this gives us an easy offsite backup of a combined library of our family photos with unlimited storage. I don't use Google Drive because of its limits. Also, because of the way Apple does iCloud accounts, she has her account and iCloud and, and she has iCloud photos and I have mine. We used to sync her phone to a local Mac and this resulted in a single account that now has 40,000 photos and 5,000 videos, which is insane to manage. So the Synology geofence sync that is then synced to Google photos gets us a combined library plus all the benefits of Google photos and an assistant. Uh, he says, as a side note, I spent hours assigning faces and photos on the Mac only to figure out that none of that is synced to any device. Google photos gets this right. And that I sent faces wherever I want across, uh, any of the devices and they all have the same view. Nothing is lost. He says Apple must have their reasons, but it's just silly not to have that across devices in my opinion. Well, David, you're in good company. Uh, he says now I won't waste any time in photos because other than photos, nothing else is synced. Synology is just a local backup for me. I don't really use the photos app at all. Same for video station. And the only way the wife and I have figured out how to really share photos is through photo streams where we invite each other. The point of this, he says, is I really think Apple is missing the entire point of managing media within families, not just sharing, but the sheer volume that is getting pr produced. Uh, he says, to my previous note, 40,000 photos and 5,000 videos are entirely unmanageable, unmanageable, but just between two people over 10 years without a better workflow or AI, which Apple and Google have implemented somewhat. He says, I also tried Amazon photos and it puked after 3,000 photos and just died. I can't get it to upload anything now since I hit that limit. I've actually had better luck with Amazon photos uh, than you have, David. I've, in fact, I've had great luck with it, uh, but, uh, but, and you could do either one, but I really like this idea of, of combining all of your photos into one folder and then syncing that up uh, with Google photos. That's a, it's a, I, 
this is key. I like it. um, I like the geofencing aspect to create what I would assume happens is, oh, okay, these are photos taken here. Well, we're going to put them in the special family. No, no. What what's happening? The only way you can auto launch an app on your iPhone uh, to trigger a background process is with a geofence. It's ridiculous, but that's the only way iOS lets you do that. So what what you do is you tell Synology the DS Photos app, and it, it you do this inside the app, but it sets a geofence, and you can set them, you can set multiple. So like I have them set for my house because I do something similar. I don't I don't do the combined photos thing, but I like this. I might, uh, but I I set um, a geofence for my house, but I also set one for like my my dad's house and my dad's condo. And um, actually, while we were traveling in Europe, I set them for each of the three apartments that we stayed at so that when we got back at night my phone would sync back here to the u.s to my um to my disk station so um yeah the geofence is only set to 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 be the thing that tells the app yes go and sync and you can say synology to upload to some library on the synology on your disk station yeah and it doesn't you don't have to be local to it like i Mm -hmm. said the geofence is just the the, it's the only way to 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 background trigger a um you know an operation the transporter from connected data its app uh, did or does the same thing so it it's just co- sort of a hack if you will to to get the silly thing to run in the background just like i like um iCloud photo library syncs in the background all by itself but sneaky yeah still think yeah nobody else gets to do that Right. You have to do this geofence thing. So without raising all sorts of alarms. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm reading over the description again, but it, 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 to me, it just occurs to me a nice way. Oh, if a photo was taken here, sync it to this library. Well, but it's not looking at the, that. That's mm. so I want to make sure we're clear on this. It's not looking at the geotag of the photo. It's the geolocation of your iPhone oh, yes. that triggers the sync. Okay, no, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that indicates intent, or I'm I'm just trying to think mm-hmm. of it in what what do I want to accomplish? Well, I'd like all the photos that I take on my property to be put here, and it's like okay, yeah, but that's not what it's doing. It's saying all the photos that you've taken since the last time you synced are mm-hmm. now being synced because you were here. All right, I'll try it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, I get the location aspect. I'm, I'm, I'm just okay. Kind of babbling. Again. Yeah. Okay. All right. About using location to do smart things with your uh, photo library, and, and a lot of apps already do that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, I gotta play more with my. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah. No, but it it works. I mean, I, you know, I've I've tested it before, and it's like, oh yeah, you know, it just syncs all the time. So it's um, it it it's I don't know. It works, which is good. All right. Time to move on to some network stuff, John. Network skip. No, I love networks. You do. <laughs> They're fast. They work. Yours is fast now. Yeah, faster, but it could be even faster. It should, it should be. They That's actually right. offer like two tiers above mine. I think the highest is 300. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's I'll call good. them back and say, hey. <laughs> I want to help you test this new 300 megabit service. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. For free. I'll do it for free. I like what you're, I like the way you think. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on to Kirit here. 
uh, Kirit says, I have Comcast business internet by speed test. I get over 50 down and 10 up lately. Whenever I click a link in Safari or Chrome, the thin blue line below the URL goes one or two centimeters. And then it waits for two or three seconds to then continue along and complete, uh, opening a website. I do not recall that delay before. Is it a server that's slow? It seems to happen to almost every site. Is there something I can do? I am using open DNS. He says, should I use Google DNS? And he shows us his, um, his network. Uh, he sent us a, sc- a screenshot of his network system preferences. And yeah, what are wh- the, uh, so uh, there's, which shows the IP address of the DNS servers, but what, what are those? So there's four DNS servers listed and two are, uh, what I would call uh, look normal. And then two look like normal IPv6 DNS servers. And it's possible that, uh, that Kirit put these in here, but more often than not, when you hit a wall like that, where, and we get, we actually got an email this morning about the same thing. It, it happens all the time where you start to load a website and it gets, you, you know, whatever, maybe 10%, 20% along in the progress bar hangs for several seconds and then continues on. Usually that means that it's failing a DNS lookup. And the way you can test this is by going into system preferences network and add a, uh, go into your uh, device. So if it's ethernet, you're right on it and you click DNS. If it's Wi-Fi, you have to go into advanced, I believe. And then you can go uh, to your TCP IP settings, but you want to get to the screen where you can see your DNS servers You want to select them all and remove them. Now, if they've been auto set for you, you won't be able to remove them. That's okay. We just want to make sure that you've removed anything that's manually set and then hit the plus sign down at the bottom and add just one DNS server. If you have a bunch that have been auto set like Kirit does, uh, they will go away when you add a manual one and the manual one that I want you to add is an easy one to remember. It's four eights separated by three periods. So eight dot eight dot eight dot eight. I think those are four periods, isn't it? No, that's three periods. Eight dot eight dot eight dot eight. Tiny little things on my screen here. Uh, that's Google's DNS server. It tends to be reliable, although any DNS server can have a problem. But as long as that's not the one that you were using previously, uh, it's a change, and that's what we're trying to do here is isolate and and change and test. So by changing your computer to only use Google's DNS server, this should uh, solve your problem, or at least it'll tell you if DNS is your problem. A lot of people seem to be having a problem now with IPv6 DNS servers being set by their providers. Uh, a lot of a lot of folks are having like their cable modems and their routers updated. And supporting IPv6 DNS without you knowing it. And then, of course, your Mac, I mean, it and your iPhone have supported IPv6 for basically, well, not forever, but for a very, very long time. How would you know that an address is an IPv6 address? That's a great question. I'm just scratching my head over that because. Yeah, because they can't see what what I can see. Instead of having periods to separate numbers, they will have colons. And colons indicate uh, that it's an IPv6 address. And they're bigger numbers. They're typically four-digit numbers, so sometimes they... Not necessarily, though. Uh, but you'll never see a four-digit number in a traditional mm. IP address. Good point. Uh, IPv4 IP address is always 
3.3.3.3 or less digits per right. octet, we'll call them. Whereas IPv6, you can see, yes, four-digit numbers, which could have letters in them. And I think we'll, we'll stop there. We'll yeah, get to right. They can have yeah, hexadecimal letters and all of that stuff. Yeah. So I, I, I've seen this a lot where and, and I've experienced it here, too, at home as I, I'm going to check know, my setup. I want to see. I, I'm actually not I had sure. to set up. I manually set up my own IPv6 DNS server here uh, that works very, very well. But it, it was a bit of a chore. Not all IPv6 lookups happen the same way. And and you can wind up in a scenario where your IPv6 server will respond with an address that your computer can't then look up. Uh, so it has to kind of fail uh, and then fall over to the, you know, to the, to the, or fall back rather to the, uh, yep. to the IPv4 server. So I, I would at this point recommend if you're having these problems, uh, if you're, even if you're going to still run IPv6, limit yourself to using IPv4 uh, DNS servers. Because um, they can return to you an IPv6 address. Mm. It, 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 that works out fine. So, May. Like, well, they can. That's what I'm saying. They don't, they they don't could, have to. Yeah, they yeah, should. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. No, I'm looking at my settings right now. And the thing is actually mine are locked in. Mine are IPv4. I have two entries and I manually, manually put them in the Eero. And that's what everybody looks at. Right. So I don't even see any IPv6. Right. Really, the, I mean, the best... Um, to me, the best thing to do is to get your router set up right and then only use your router's address as your DNS server. Yes. And then your clients use your router's address as the DNS, which which is kind of sounds literally weird. the words I just said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to me, it always sounds weird saying it. So I'll say it again just because I want to sound weird. But go. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's next? Um, yeah. So, you know, that way you've got just one sort of uh, uh, one thing to configure and then everybody else just points to it works. It works better. But if you do need to test, you can, you can override that that way. So hopefully that works for you. Again, we, we heard many of you seeing this problem and, uh, and it more often than not is that you've been assigned an IPv6 DNS server um, as fun as IPv6 is. And, and as good as it is for us to get that out there, there seems to be sort of a rash of this stuff happening. And, and so maybe, and you can always disable IPv6 on your Mac. Uh, well, and then, and, and how, test how the problem even, that way. How would you even say this? Well, cause you could, it works <laughs> fine. <laughs> All right. Um, going on to Paul, Paul asks, uh, can you recommend a non mesh router that has a track record for getting security updates regularly? I know I'll be replacing my Apple Airport Extreme at some point, and the biggest thing that I liked about Apple is that I could rely on them to keep it up to date and not abandon it prematurely. This is my greatest fear when moving away from Apple routers. I, and I get that. Um, at this point, the 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 brands, the non mesh brands anyway, that I trust for security updates are Linksys, Synology, D Link, TP Link, and Netgear. There's probably others. But, you know, that's five off the top of my head. Now, I totally realize that most, if not all of these uh, brands have actually had breaches, right, where where their routers have been been compromised in some way. 
Um, but they've all either been making routers or NAS devices in the case of Synology for over a decade, right? This is their business uh, and they rely on this uh, so that they can be known as being safe and secure. So the, the real trick is making sure you as the user keep your router up to date. And, and that's where some of this stuff gets, gets a little tricky. Uh, like the Eero, the Luma, a lot of these mesh products keep themselves up to date. Not all of them, uh, but, uh, but a lot of them do not all of the, uh, not all the routers out there keep themselves up to date. Uh, so you've got to check and, and it's the same with Apple, right? I mean, Apple didn't, doesn't automatically keep it up to date, but it will warn you and say, there's an update. Uh, you won't necessarily get that warning with, with non Apple routers. So you have to, you have to keep up, you know, you have to keep an eye on it. Maybe once a month, uh, you know, put a note on your calendar, to just check your, uh, check your router and, and see if it's up to date. If you really want to be safe, uh, I would go get a router that's well supported by DDWRT. One of the, and now, you know, there's, uh, we've talked a lot about DDWRT over the years. My, I still use it uh, in many capacities here. It's a third party open source firmware. So one of the nicest parts about it is that the source code is available for anyone to see, but also anyone to audit. So security updates not only uh, are sort of Im, uh, embedded in the whole concept of DDWRT, but there are updates at least once a month for this, sometimes once a week. And every one of them gets, you know, whatever the new Linux kernel is and updates to open SSH and all of that stuff. So there just are no breaches um, for DDWRT uh, routers be just because they're updated so frequently or the software is updated frequently. Again, it's up to you to go and keep it up to date. Um, but uh, but that's probably going to be the most secure. But again, if you if you keep an eye on on your on your firmware and you go with a company that that's business is routers, uh, they have to keep this stuff up to date. You know, it's it's as I always say, follow the money. Right. And when those companies, if they if they aren't keeping their routers up to date, they're going to nobody's going to buy them. So so that's my feeling. Any thoughts on that, John? <sighs> hmm. My router is from a third, uh, though I'll mention this as a touch point here, mm. but um, always make sure that you have the latest router from your ISP because that often provides the first level of firewalling and, and, and things like that. And the thing is, they don't want their customers to get hacked, right? So, wait, so you're setting, say, you're saying instead of having your own router, use your ISP's no. router? No, I, I, I'm offering additional guidance that you should also make sure that whatever cable modem or oh, cable DSL modem, modem yeah, yeah. or whatever, which is in a sense, uh, well, it's, it's your channel to the outside world. Make sure that whatever cable modem or DSL or, or even dial up, I, I hear people still yeah, use people still, this. Sure. Well, actually I don't think there are really any security concerns with as far as firewalling with dial up. No, right. I guess there could be. What, what am I saying? Of course there could be. I'm thinking of a spy movie now where it's like, we'll attack them through the dial in vector. Dave, my, my TiVo still does dial up. I check it every now and then in theory, if the wireless goes down, I can get updates to my program guide with really? dial up. Huh? 
there's still, I mean, you you remember you and I had done, you know, Telnet, TimeNet, all oh, these yeah. dial-up network extenders that used modems. Yeah. For the most part, or or TCP IP when you know sure. that became cool. <laughs> now I only have a few things. I I don't even know if you have anything uh, in your family that still uses a analog dial-up line. I have one. No, no, no. Our TiVos are all. Um, like yeah, I said, we moved. Well, we moved to the the whole new paradigm of TiVo, which is we've got one main unit with a hard drive and, and a network connection, right. and that's that's for us. That's the bolt. And then we have TiVo minis uh, to play okay, stuff from those the whole library. Extenders, essentially, uh, they're extenders. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah, right. yeah. No, it, that that works very very well. Yeah. All right. Cool. Where are we at? Uh, you want to talk about measuring Wi-Fi performance with Todd, John? <sighs> yeah, Todd and I like hung out. Man, it was, it was pretty <laughs> cool. But um, no, but uh, Todd had a general question we've talked about in the past. But I thought it was good to uh, revisit, especially since I've been doing this as well. Um, so Todd says this uh, in the email, but with all the mesh hype, he said he picked up an Aero Three Pack, which we've spoken well about, and mm-hmm. I like mine, and you like yours mm-hmm. so far. Um, to test it at my current. To test it against my current router, which is an Aris uh, TG1682G modem router, AC Wi-Fi rented from Comcast. I think my parents have one that's very similar. and I have an Aris as well. Anyways, um, using the DSL report speed test, uh, which he was using to test his speeds, but then he says he's seeing wildly inconsistent results at different times with exactly the same parameters. Hmm. Maybe. So, with my 2013 Mac Pro, Pro four feet away connected to Aris on Wi-Fi AC, 5 gigs, channel 36, with a quiet network, and Aris all unplugged, several tests within a certain range, range from 32 to 240 megabits per second. Okay. Um, and then we have one other data point, and I think we can get into it, Dave. We can jump in the mud here. If, sure. If, if you will. <laughs> But then he says, as a baseline, I turned the Mac Wi-Fi off and tested on Ethernet, the throughput from one device to the other, and 240 megabits per second was seen. Okay. Okay. So, so, on, so to to kind of crystallize what he's saying, and, and this is before he even plugged his Eros in. This is just on his old uh, 802.11ac Aris router, or Aris combo modem router. He, uh, when plugged in Ethernet, he gets the full speed of his internet connection, at least on the downstream. And then when he's on Wi-Fi, sometimes he gets the full speed of his connection and sometimes he gets, you know, a 10, 10% of that. Mm. Yeah. Right. So where is the problem is the big, is the million dollar question or the 10 million or how, how many, what is a reasonable measure these days? Well, uh, if you go to MacGeekab.com, you can sign up for premium and uh, and you can do that for like 10 bucks a month. <laughs> okay. Wow. That, that was a curve. That was a great curveball. Did you like that? It's true, though. And we really appreciate it for everybody that uh, that has done that. Todd, Todd is Todd is a premium member. So, you know, that's how I'm. So it's worth throwing. mentioning. But it um, is. here's what I do. So, number one. Testing the throughput on Ethernet is. You know, I'm going to step back, Dave. I will step back. I do that sometimes. In the first case, if you're testing your internet throughput by testing, I'm going to step back again. 
What are we testing here, Dave? I think we're testing our network throughput and our internet throughput. What do you think about that? And that's where I think I took the step back here as far as offering my suggestions. So number one, I'm not saying you're testing the wrong thing, but I think I'm saying you're testing the wrong thing. (laughs) Well, well, no, the thing is you want, you want to test different uh, potential bottlenecks that that's, that's how I'm going to say that you're not doing anything wrong. Sure. You're performing one test, which is an array of tests that you can do. Personally, what I would do is if you're seeing these varying speeds over only Wi-Fi, okay, the problem is Wi-Fi somewhere, but where? So to eliminate the speed test going over the internet as being a problem, which I've seen, Dave, even with Eero, a system that you and I both love, uh, and I think it's great, but it does a speed test every day. And actually, even I've seen it have this problem, Dave. It's like, well, yeah, your download like mm. sucks. It's like this. And I'm like, well, but you ran speed tests. It's like, well, yes, I did. Yeah, it's possible. It's like it, that There could have been a, a temporary network yep. disruption, shall we, shall we say. So don't necessarily use an internet speed test connecting to a server far, far away. or It, it tries to get it as close as possible. But still, I wouldn't use that to measure my household network performance. Right. In that case, what I would do and we have a link, I think, to a, a dandy Facebook thread, which is pretty much what we're talking about here, saying, you know, let's do something different. Let's do a speed test from all of my devices to all of my other devices. And that, uh, Yeah, we'll put a link in the in the show notes. Jim Tannis did, put together a great piece uh, based on some conversations here about how to use a, an a app called iPerf or iPerf3 now. From the terminal. And what you do is you use two Macs to do this test, one that's connected via Ethernet to your network and then one that's connected via Wi-Fi or anywhere else on your network. But don't do it between two Wi-Fi devices because that starts to get weird. Um, Because what we're measuring is the Wi-Fi, I would say... Chaos? Not not chaos, but the the, the idiosyncrasies of wireless networks is what we're testing here. Because as as was demonstrated, the the wired connection is totally predictable, which is not a surprise because it's not black magic. It's wired technology, not Wi-Fi. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. No, Wi-Fi, even in the same location, uh, you can get I can get wildly different speeds from the same device. And yes, you know, you're connected to the same radio and, you know, you can sort of try and isolate it all down. But there are going to be different things that are going to uh, to potentially right. impact that. Yeah. And I think the thing I offered to sum it up is one is you want to, the, the, the best data point I think you can get when your Wi-Fi device is misbehaving, at least if it's a Mac, at least on a Mac. And we'll link to an article that um, I'm not sure who did it, but it was recent talking about this very fact. If you go to the Wi-Fi menu on your Mac and you hold down the option or alt key, you will see a bunch of, a boatload, a plethora, Dave, uh, if I may, of data about your connection. And some of the important parts that you see here are well, the, what Apple calls the TX rate. So that's the maximum negotiated rate between your machine and the other Wi-Fi thing that you're talking to. That's the theoretical maximum of what you're going to see coming at you with the assumption being what is from going up you. is going to be less. From, or, sorry, from you. Right? From, well, it says TX uh, rate. So, yeah, but, but your Mac, let's see, 
Um, oh, hang on. Hopefully so the parameter is called TX rate. Right now, mine is saying, because mine is an end machine, but I have an AC access point, so that complicates this, but I believe what it's, and now it just went down to 270, but 300, I believe, from this machine, which is a data max, so let's not use this as a reference point necessarily, because I think the numbers I'm seeing are reflecting that I have an 802.n machine here. So, but in any case, what you will see in this window is a TX rate and a uh, some other data, but it should give you a rough guideline in addition to the channel and the frequency and the bandwidth, how much speed you should be getting coming down, I guess is what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I'm trying to remember, I, for some reason, I thought that rate was your receive rate, but I mean, it it is listed as transmit rate, so... So maybe, maybe I've got that backwards and, and maybe what, what you get to see from your Mac is how fast it can, you know, the maximum throughput outbound is. And then if you want to see it in the other direction, you have to look at the router. Yeah. And right. not all routers will give you that information. Uh, you know, correct. Especially not. Well, you know, Apple, I think no. kind of does. It's buried no. in there somewhere, but it gives you the frequency. And I think it gives you what it thinks is a rate. No. But you got to dig, uh, and probably because they filter everything on the latest software. <laughs> no, I don't think they, they do. They don't show you per client. I mean, it's per client, right, that right. that you get. I think they just showed the frequency. They're like, you're a 2.4 or 5 client. Right. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, on for example, going back to DDWRT, I just pulled up my router here, and I can see that I've got some AC devices. I've got one, um, and I don't know which device this is, but it's... Uh, it's got a transmit rate from the router of 780. It just jumped up from 620 and a receive rate uh, from the client to the router of 520. So, um, but again, these are theoretical maximums, but they, well, they're not theoretical maximums. They are the negotiated rates. Uh, and depending on the protocol, you might get all of that, or you might only get half of that. Um, with HC, you actually get all of it because it's reports a little bit differently. Right. Now to step back here and what we were trying to say, you're going so, to fall off the, the edge of the stage. If you keep stepping back, John, <clears throat> <laughs> I hope somebody's going to crowd surf me. Yeah. You, better, you think they will? You better hope so. That'd be so much fun. But I think what we're saying here is that you should really test your local network performance before introducing an unpredictable yeah. value, like the performance of the internet. And you can do that. And the answer is homebrew, um, well, you know, iPerf to that. Yeah. Well, it's iPerf, which you need homebrew for, at least in my humble opinion, Dave. And if you get homebrew, then you want to get cake brew, which is a gooey to it because who wants to type in the terminal like a caveman? I do. I certainly don't, but Dave <laughs> does. So he doesn't use cake brew, but I do. Right. Right. But you, yeah, I mean, it, it's, um, again, we've got a link to, but iPerf point to point, it's good stuff. Yeah, it it and the nice part about iperf is you're not including your internet speeds in the test. You're just you're just including your local network speeds, uh, which can be again just a handy thing. Well, can it I, helps you decide at which device you should shake your fist. Well, and it also lets you see truly how fast your network is because if you uh you know in in the case of Todd, he's saying that he's seeing 240 megabits per second. Well, first of all, that's only in one direction, right? That that's from the internet to you. Chances are you can't go that fast on the outbound. So you won't see what your outbound speed is. Uh, but also, 
you may, your downstream speed from your, you know, in your internal network is likely much faster than that, right? You might, Hmm. especially on ethernet, you're probably able to do gigabits. Um, I, I know when I test here, you know, between the house and the office, when I've got the buried cable, I get, you know, 980 megabits per second. Now I would never be able to test that if I were using an internet based speed test, because I don't pay for internet speeds that are that fast. So I, you know, I have to be able to test it a different way. And, and that's really where this, you know, where the, where this gets handy because, you know, while you can test several hundred megabits, at least for you, Todd on the downstream probably can, you're probably like me. I mean, you're the speeds you're reporting are pretty much what I get. So I think you're on Xfinity and, uh, and so your upstream is going to top out at 12 and a half. And that's, you know, that's not going to tell you anything about your Wi-Fi connection. So uh, using iPerf, it, and terminal's not that scary. Uh, mm-hmm. Trust us on this. And no, again, good. Jim's article will walk you through it. It's good stuff. I got to say, I'm pretty sure that when I set my parents up with the Xfinity supposedly free, and then we called them later and they said, well, we're going to have to charge you for a service call. And I'm like, that's crazy talk. No, you're not. And they're like, yeah, let me switch it to somebody yes, else. Yes, John. But eventually um, we got smoking. And actually their speeds right now with their Xfinity, it would try to eliminate AC, everything's built in, including the phone is about the speeds I'm getting now. So, yeah, yeah, that's about, well, not upstream. I, I, downstream, yes, but I'm 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 sure. You no, there's the, the, I have a history on one of my devices, and the thing is, part part of my reason I think of calling my cable company was, dude, my parents are getting faster speeds than I am. Right. That's embarrassed. That's just embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, but they're not they're not getting. Uh, if they only have a hundred down from Xfinity, they they probably only get six up. I think they had a better plan than me, which was a, a factor yeah. driving me to yeah. get more. Yeah, because Comcast Performance Pro 100 <laughs> plan is 100 down, 5 up, which is really 121 down and 6 What up. I'm saying is you can't have your parents having faster internet than you. It's just embarrassing. No, that's bad. That's right. That's right. All right. Uh, moving one more step down the network path, we'll go here to Charles, who asks... Uh, I think you touched on this in the router deep dive, but can you elaborate on adding a wireless access point to my home network, which I think will be the best way to solve my problem? Uh, he says, basically, we have a fiber input at the front of the house in my upstairs study. This gets 400 megabits up and down, which is amazing. We agree. Uh, the router supplied by the fiber supplier is a Zizel model that works fine for Wi-Fi uh, apart from an area in our kitchen and living room, which has a huge steel beam 20 inches deep running across which seems to block all wi-fi signal from the router though i also have ethernet running to a switch in the attic and then to another switch in the living room in the dead wi-fi area so i'm thinking can i hang a wireless access point off the router in the living room to give wi-fi access to the whole dead area the internal walls are plasterboard uh uh, which we call uh, probably you're probably talking about sheetrock and uh, he says he's i think he's across uh I think he's over in, uh, yeah, he's in UK. Uh, he says, uh, so if so, what sort of device would you recommend? So, yeah, you are totally right that solving this problem with an Ethernet uh, backhaul is exactly what you want to do because you have that Ethernet backhaul and that's always better. So you have a lot of options. Most normal routers 
can be put into what's called bridge mode. And you're going to want to do that regardless of how you solve this. You'll have your main router, your Sizel thing up in the uh, office study, sorry. And then you're going to use some device only as a wireless access point. So by taking uh, even an old router and putting it into bridge mode, that's what that would do for you. So if you happen to have an old extra router, try it. If not, most anything from like Netgear, TP-Link, D-Link, Linksys, Synology, any of those brands that, uh, that we tend to trust around here uh, would do it. But another option would be to buy the right wireless extender. Now, you got to be careful because some wireless extenders don't have Ethernet ports. And even those that do, some of them do not support a true bridge mode like this. They use the Ethernet port for... Um, for to allow you to attach to to do a wireless bridge and then attach the ethernet but um but a lot of them will allow you to do either direction uh, i really like the uh the nighthawk uh, range extenders i just put one of the x4 ones in for a friend the ex7300 from netgear and did exactly this with it and the nice part about it is that it's got a switch on the side for changing between extender and access point mode. So you would switch it to access point. <gasps> yeah. So it's way better because you, you, you know, there's no confusion. You just switch it. Now, if you do this, I would definitely recommend going into the configuration utility for the, um, for the extender. And it, it's typically going to be a web interface. And when you do that, change the wireless uh, SSID. So the network name and uh, encryption and password to be exactly the same as what your Zizel router uses. That way you, uh, you don't really have to think about it as you move between your, you know, one area of the house and the other, your, uh, your devices will just pick up this other radio uh, with the same name and password. And it'll just sort of roam around and, and uh, you're essentially creating what, what we here like to call a quasi mesh and, and it'll work great. So that that would be one way to do it. The other way would be to do true mesh. Uh, you could and I, and I really don't recommend this for your scenario right now, largely because you're going to be spending money that you don't need to spend. But if you were to get something that supports Ethernet backhaul, so like the Eero or the Luma, um, although the Luma would be the wrong one because you can't put it in bridge mode. So what you would do is you'd put that in bridge mode because you can't. I'm assuming you have to use your Zizel router as your router. A lot of these fiber connections sort of require that. So you would turn off Wi-Fi on your Zizel router, but leave it in router mode. Then you would put your Eero in bridge mode and, and plug it into Ethernet on both ends. And it will create this wireless mesh for you using Ethernet as the backhaul with the same network name and all of that. Uh, you'd spend a little bit of extra money doing that. And I don't think Eero's available in the UK yet. So I'm probably proposing <gasps> something that's not necessarily for you, Charles, but for the audience, the broader audience that we have, or at least the U S uh, portion of it. But um, uh, you, you could probably do it with the Netgear with the Orbi. Oh, except the Netgear Orbi doesn't support ethernet backhaul. So yeah, don't, mm. don't do mesh yet. Charles, it's not quite ready for you. Just go get another router. You can probably do this for a hundred bucks or less, a hundred quid or less. And, uh, and you should mm -hmm. be good to go. So, yeah, that's my, uh, that's my option and I'm sticking to it. 
I don't blame you. Thoughts on that, John? Uh, my thought is that getting more internet is better. In this case, though, I think the most important part that we mentioned is when we're talking about a bridge. A bridge is something that is totally dumb. It does nothing intelligent. And br- putting something in bridge mode is not a bad thing. It may be a good thing. What, um, yeah, sometimes- I, I want to I fix what you just said, though, because you're right that a bridge turns off some of the intelligence. But there's still quite a bit of intelligence left, left in a bridge, especially... If you take your mesh devices and put them into bridge mode, mm. it's still doing a lot of the mesh intelligence. It's just not routing. I That's think what all. I'd like to say, yes, and and most important, if you're going to be setting them in a network and put something in bridge mode, I think the most important part is that something in bridge mode typically is not going to be handing out IP addresses. And this is where right. things... things uh, get bad. Yeah, totally. <laughs> when you totally. have something, when you have multiple devices on the network saying, Hey, I should hand out IP addresses to people. Is that okay? Well, nobody is saying no. So it's like, okay, I'll do that. And then, and you and I have both seen that day, whether it's a double NAT situation or DHCP yeah. NAT, then it just inst- it turns into alphabet salad and usually a disaster. So. Right. Nope. You're to- no, you're totally right. Yeah, yeah. You, you only want one I've device. I've created some of them, sometimes on a semi-epic scale, which yeah. maybe I'll tell you in a future episode. Because it was pretty... Well, it was a story about somebody getting the address for the router and the DHCP server confused when they configured something mm-hmm. manually. And that's all I'll say. It wasn't necessarily me, but it was I, I was helping solve the problem. Nice. <laughs> Uh, John, how do you feel about going to Terry? You want to do that today or you want to do that, uh, next week? Uh, let's see. Terry, 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 which Terry? Uh, with app keyboards ah, yes. and shortcuts. Okay. Yeah. This was awesome. Okay. Because it, it, it helped me link with my past. So Terry said, that was a great question. Terry said, I installed a great little keyboard add-on or fix that allows me to hold the command key down and the window with all the keyboard shortcuts for that app pops open. This is great. Yeah, I agree, man. That's cool. And back in, in the mists of time, Dave, I remembered that I had something like this. I don't know if it was on sure. my Apple II or maybe my Mac, but it's been so long and it's not something that I typically, I never thought I'd really need, but it sounds cool. Yeah, get all your shortcuts. Wouldn't that be great if somebody came up with an app that did all the shortcuts? Well, and he says he can't remember how I installed it, which, uh, yes, is a problem. I do believe what he had was an app, but then it has some uh, accessibility extensions, and and it's kind of hidden. So I don't blame you for not being able to find it. And yes, I think it is a cool tip, Terry, because I found it, Dave. You did? Cool. After, after doing my Google Foo, and also matching the requirements of our uh, uh, listener, Terry a premium listener and contributor as well. Here it is, Dave. It's called, uh, no, this is terrible. cheat sheet. Yes. From, uh, media yeah, atelier. Look, it looks like, uh, it's foreign. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. No, it is. I mean, yeah. no, I, 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 oh, I am not able to paste into Safari. This is insane. It's okay. Right. I, put, I put it in the show notes. It'll be there. But you have it. Yes. And I installed it on my MacBook Pro. Works. Yes. Uh, his concern was, does it work on the latest OS? And as far as I can tell, yes, it does. And basically, you hold down your, you have to give it, give it accessibility rights. Uh, ah. But once you do, okay. you hold down 
your command key for two seconds and it shows you all the keyboard shortcuts nice. for any app that you can access from where you currently are. Nice. Uh, nice. Sweet. Maybe Apple should have done so. And I think Apple, in a sense, you can have Apple display this, but not in the, uh, not nice. Not all at not once. Yeah. Sense. That looks pretty cool. I'll have to check that out. Nice. Sweet. Cause everybody asked us, you know, time and time again, Dave, we come up with these mysterious accidental. Yes. Um, this is now your tool to find all those accidental key presses because they're all display. As far as I can tell, it basically queries the app and says, Hey, what do you got? And it's right. like, right. This is what I got. And yeah. It's awesome. I, I, I like it. Of that. Cool. Uh, it is cool. And Dave, what else? All right. We'll move on to uh Tannel. Tannel uh, asks, are there any risks in running a 13 inch retina MacBook pro in closed lid mode or clamshell mode. I connect two monitors to my Mac at work. One of them is 4k that I run in retina mode. Uh, I think that if I run my Mac in clamshell mode, I have more resources available for the two monitors than I have here, but with the heat damage my Mac in some way, um, the answer is, most likely not. Apple certainly. Well, Apple certainly doesn't have an issue with you doing it this way. In fact, it is one of the recommended ways of running your Mac. Um, our experience here, I've run. I don't currently run anything in clamshell mode, but I have the closed lid mode is what Apple calls it. Um, but I know Jeff Gamut does or did until he got his new MacBook Pro with the touch bar. And of course, if you want to use the touch bar, you can't have the lid closed unless you like drill a hole in the lid and then you'd be ruining things. So, uh, but he used to, and it works just fine. Your Mac has all kinds of temperature sensors in it and it's not going to let itself run. If, uh, if it, if one of those starts reporting that it's too hot for too long, the same is true of your iPhone and your iPad. In fact, I did a stu- what I thought was a stupid thing the other night. I, um, you know, we were, we were traveling, John, and uh, it was Sunday night. We were flying home Monday and I wanted to download a new movie. Now, the internet connection at the Hard Rock Hotel in, um, in they call it Riviera Maya, which is along the Mexican Riviera coast uh, mm-hmm. of the Caribbean there, kind of in, inland from Cancun, or not inland, but, but you know, the, the main. Yeah, what's the, what's the Wi-Fi? Like 30 it, megabits man. in both directions, which is pretty good for a hotel. Like right? what? So AC or? Uh, yeah. I don't know. It, I, it, probably not. It was probably 2.4 gigahertz because that's that's huh. better to do. But mm-hmm. um, but anyway, I was getting like 30 megabits. And so I thought, great, I can download a movie. But I thought, you know, they're going to come in. They're going to do turn down service. Uh, everyone at the hotel recommended that we always, I never put my computer in the safe. Okay. Like if I'm at a hotel here in the U S I leave it open, plugged in, set up on the desk because I know that no hotel, again, it's capitalism, right? If, if people start having their, their stuff stolen out of their hotel rooms, nobody will stay there again. I did the same at my room in Vegas. Right. Well, actually, I think I actually put it in the cabinet that had the safe, but I didn't put it in the safe, Hmm. but I put it out of view. Out of view. Well, I normally leave this stuff in view, but. To discourage temptation. Yeah. But but I'll say that's the most I'll do. I won't put, I I don't think I've ever put stuff in the safe. Well, they told us. Jewels. They they told us, put your computer in the safe. So it was like, okay, fine. That's the lawyers talking. Well, no, it was the staff of the hotel. So, uh, (laughs) including the guy that, that, that like checked us into our rooms. I'm like, okay, well, I'll, I, I want to leave 
my iPad with its screen on. So I, I turned off the, uh, you know, the, the auto lock because in order for Plex to keep downloading, I wanted the screen to be on. And, uh, and I started the, the couple of movie downloads and then I put it in the safe again, screen on and closed the safe. And then as we're at the concert, I had this moment of panic. Like, what did I just do? I put this thing inside and I made sure it worked. Like it was still working. You, you know, it still had like, like, even though it's in a metal box, it was still getting a Wi-Fi signal. So it's like, okay, sweet. But then I'm like, wait, this thing's going to heat up in there. There's no ventilation in the safe. You know, what did I just do? Am I, we're going to, are we going to get back to the room? And there was a fire and all this stuff. And then I thought, nope. Yeah, you probably destroyed the hotel. Yeah, first of all, I'm not going to panic about this because there's nothing I can do about it right now. Uh, I'm enjoying a concert good, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, just going to keep doing that. Okay, keep going. But I also trusted, because I've seen it happen, where the, the iPad either overheats or gets too cold and sure. will just tell you, no, I'm done. I'm just going to shut down. And uh, and sure enough, we got back and actually everything was fine. It, it didn't even overheat. My movies had downloaded it and I, and I still, but you know, whatever, six hours later had had. Were uh, you secretly hoping for a fiery battery explosion like in no. 07? And there, I'll tell okay. you why I wasn't. It, well, I had my if it I had was my in your room. Well, no. it was inside the fireproof safe. Right. So but my here's my problem. <laughs> Because in the safe was my laptop, which, okay, fine. So now my, my iPad and my laptop have burned. Those are easily replaceable. But also in the safe were our two passports. And we were leaving the next morning. This would have been a major disaster. Like replacing an iPad for being an idiot, no problem. Replacing a laptop for being an idiot, no problem. Replacing an, a passport with a flight in like four hours, Understood. big problem. So of course you have your important credentials backed up in an app like LastPass or One Password. I do, but that that won't get me out of the country and back into the U.S. Are you sure? Yes, uh, yes, absolutely. You so have if to you present presented them with a the scan of your passport, they would say no, no go. Are you sure? Uh -huh. Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you need to have the actual document. Um, okay. Now, now for traveling in inside the country. Uh, you can do that. In fact, I just talked, I've done it accidentally when I have not had my wallet. Uh, in fact, one of my buddies showed up in Vegas that way. He just accidentally mm -hmm. left his license at home or whatever. Uh, so traveling within the U S you can do that without a uh, picture. Well, you're at ID. the mercy of the reasonableness yeah. of local law enforcement. Correct. Which for the most part. Correct. As long as you're not a jerk, but no, is, they won't even okay. let you onto the plane. They're really smart about this on really? both, right. on both ends. You know, we connected, um, to, you know, but our flights that were taking us from one country to another, the airline would check to make sure you had your passport before you got on the plane. Not that they needed to do anything with it, but they didn't want you to get to the other end and not have a passport. And now you are their responsibility to bring back home. Or bring back to wherever yeah. you are. So You're right. Follow yeah, the money. Follow the money. That's <laughs> it. Right. Yeah, exactly. So uh so yeah, you know, you're you're fine, Tannel, with um with your with your uh with your your clamshell mode. It is or closed lid mode, I guess is the right thing. But uh Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. So but I don't put your iPad in a I'm not gonna ever do that again, put it in the thing. Maybe I'll just like put it in a drawer, tuck it under I don't know, out of sight, but not good not good anyway all got lucky we're all good made it home everything's fine that's nice Dave and you know now that you're back home you know what I'm thinking of doing what's that I'm thinking of writing an email and you know where I'm going to send the email Dave where I'm going to send, send it, it? 
to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Are you sure about that? Pardon me. Yes, I meant feedback at MacGeekGab.com. But there's also premium. That's right. Premium. MacGeekGab.com. And, and, and there's been some wonderful advances in MacGeekGab mm. premium technology, Dave. Hasn't there been? There has. Yeah. If, if you're signing up today, you're using a whole different engine. Some of you who signed up previously have been moved to the new engine. Adam and I are going to be moving even more of you later this week. Uh, thank you all. Whether you've signed up recently or you've been a premium subscriber for a long time, uh, I, I can speak on behalf of, of John as well. Thank you so much for all of your support. It really, it means a lot to us. Yes. And uh, really appreciate it. And what it comes down to is money. And yeah. Everybody appreciate money. No, we and, appreciate and your support. It provides us the motivation. Well, it lets us do things like go do. to CES and do all that coverage, and and yes, oh, it also helps us pay our mortgages and you know all those all those things that we need to do so that we can keep doing this for you. So no, we really appreciate it. Two two four eight 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 Geek is the number that any of you can call. We're happy to have your voicemails. John Geek is as it always has been, Dave. Four three three five. And you can visit um, us on Facebook. We mentioned our Facebook uh, conversation. Uh, uh, not, well, we did. We mentioned a Facebook conversation. We'll but our, our group. And we're going to talk about it. Yeah. We're going to promote it. We're, we're going to do three of those things. MacGeekGab.com slash Facebook will bring you right to our community there where you can join and ask questions, answer questions. It's a great group of people. There's a gazillion people there. Well, lots of them. We're getting there. Yeah. And it, I want to... Uh, ever increasing. That's I want to thank... Everyone, I want to thank all of you for listening. Uh, I want to thank the folks at Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. I want to thank all of the sponsors in our podcast marketplace, of course. That includes Bare Bones, as we mentioned earlier in this show. That includes Blue Apron at blueapron.com slash MGG with three free meals shipped to you. Of course, Fat Cat Software, the maker of Power Photos. At fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG, where you can get a deal on that. Smile at smilesoftware.com. Otherworld Computing at macsales.com. And, of course, new or renewed this year is GoDaddy at godaddy.com. Where coupon code MGG30 saves you 30%. Thank you so much for listening, folks. Have a great week. It'll actually be a short week because we're coming back, back on our normal schedule on Sunday. You think? I do think. But Dave, I have to ask you, man. I mean, you were south of the border, and uh, I don't—I don't know about you, but I, I, I hear a lot of a lot of things about south of the border. Is there yeah, you can share with us. Uh, well, what I can say is, uh, may your travels be as lucky as mine, and that you don't get caught. Made up.